Hello, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. This is Dr. Ishan, a board-certified sleep expert. Right now, it's summer vacation time, so I received a lot of requests from college students, especially their parents, really worry about their children's sleep schedule. Do you know that actually, for college students, how they sleep is closely associated. With how they perform academically and how their mental health well-being gonna be. So today we have a sleep expert who specializes with college students' mental health and sleep health, Dr. Brad Wagast. He will share with us what are the challenges college students are facing in terms of their sleep health and what they can do about it. Don't walk away. I will be right back. Before we start, I just want to share with you that I have tried several sleep products so far, and some of them I really like personally. I list them all on my website at deepintosleep.co/resources. Two of them are affiliate programs that I have joined because I really like them so much. That means when you make a purchase, it's gonna cost you no extra money at all, but I will get a very small percentage of commission to help cover the editing team for this podcast. I really hope my honest review and share of my own trial experience with those products can help you make a decision when you choose a sleep product on the market. Okay, so let's welcome Dr. Wagast. Hello, Doctor Wagast. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Thank you. It's super a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. I actually ran into you in the sleep conference this year, right?、Yeah. And I know you're a board certified behavioral sleep medicine expert too. But you have a very special niche that's not many of my none of my other guests ever had.、Uh, how about you introduce yourself to our audience first? Absolutely. So I'm I'm excited to tell you about that. My my niche is college counseling and college students' sleep, and I came about it in a very personal way, which is when I arrived at college myself in the in the late '80s. I had a pretty deviated septum that I was born with and grew up with. Didn't really think anything of it. Didn't know it was a problem, but I snored terribly, and basically lived. My adolescent years with bad sleep apnea, which you know these days would hopefully get picked up and diagnosed and treated. For me, it didn't get fixed until I was a freshman in college. I was playing basketball. I got hit in the jaw, which got me to an ear, nose, throat doctor. And thank goodness I did. He looked at my jaw and said, "Your jaw's fine, but how do you breathe through your nose?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I have never breathed through my nose." He said, "Well, let's fix that." And that happened midway through my freshman year in college. So I started college the way I ended high school, which was tired all the time, troubles staying awake in class, trouble you know studying enough. I could fall asleep at a red light while I was driving. All the things we look for in sleep apnea. The beginning of my second semester of college, I had this huge change where suddenly I was sleeping well through the night. With apnea, your listeners may not know this, but I probably was waking up hundreds of times during the course of the night, so sleeping terribly, waking up exhausted, tired throughout the day. Suddenly, I was able to sleep. I was able to study. I could stay awake in class. I was funnier. I had better relationships. Like everything got better. It was kind of like that miracle 
experience of having a bad sleep problem effectively treated. And it just caught my mind to a place where I was so interested in sleep and how much sleep could change a person's life, my life. I just started reading and consuming everything I could around sleep. Fast forward later, I did well enough in school. I got to go to grad school. I got my psychology degree as a psychologist. And the job I fell into after my internship was at a university counseling center at the University of Pennsylvania. I quickly became the sleep guy. This is before there were board certifications. And I just would do presentations and talk to people about sleep and our new psychologists. And eventually I got board certified in behavior sleep medicine like you and have been, you know, treating sleep problems for college students ever since. And I love it. It's the thing that just it gets me up in the morning and gets me excited is doing sleep consultations with students, um, consulting with university counseling center staff at other universities. Um, it really gets me going because it is a big problem on college campuses, like almost everywhere else. And um, it's my favorite work, which, by the way, it leads me to, and then I'll stop introducing myself. <laughs> um, I have created my own private practice where I treat sleep problems, particularly insomnia and chronic nightmares. It's at helpmesleep.org. Easy to find me and easy to look into what kind of work you can do with me. Or if you want me to come and talk to your group, I'm, I love doing that stuff too. Yeah, definitely. I, I possibly, I definitely want to take that offer. And uh, uh, because I really think first, I admire how your passion in this field, right? I think, isn't that a wonderful thing that we love what we do? And we're so passionate and seeing all the patients and really assist them to get better and better. And we all have different niche. And the other thing is I realized even within within my own group practice, we have like 20-ish providers, but I was the only one who specialized in treating insomnia and sleep-related issues. But when I do case consultations with other providers, sometimes, you know, they will talk about young adults this like uh, mood disorder and other issues. Sometimes just to me, it sounds like, wow, I, I suspect some sleep issues. Have you ever considered that, right? No one even know about that. So not many providers know anything about sleep. That's right. Because, and I, I was just doing research for a talk I'm doing in a couple of months. Most of us, whether you're a psychologist, a social worker, a physician, or a nurse, the training we get around sleep is about one to three hours is what it seems to be. And there's a few places where you might get five or six hours of training. And most of that, if you're in medical school, it's about sleep apnea. But most of that, if you're in another place, it's, it's just very limited information. So we don't know. And, and I think one of the reasons I get excited to talk about people in the world of college mental health is because it's a really prime time in age, this sort of young adult phase, where you can make a big impact on someone's life for the rest of their lives, for their whole adult life, maybe. Um, and it, you know, the hard part is I, I bump into the same thing you do, which is no one's been trained. There's very little training. And some people have found things and they know things, but there's not a whole lot of integration of information that they may have learned. So, and to me, you know, I have 
so many things to say. The 60% of college students, if you ask them, do you have problems with your sleep? 60% will say yes, right? That's, yeah, that's huge. That's more than the general public, more than the general population. And when you survey those same students, they will also show you, they will tell you, yeah, my quality of life is lower compared to the people who sleep better. I have more depressed mood and more anxious moods. And you, I'm sure you and I see that, you know, the less you sleep, the more those things go up. And for college students, their academics are worse. Their GPA, their their ability to study and, and perform academically goes down. And it's, you can show that you can, research has shown that again and again. So there's clearly a need and there's clearly a problem. One of the issues with the university situation is attitude. You know, in general, people think sleep isn't, maybe it's not that big of a deal. On college campuses, it's often even more so, right? They, oh, you pull an all-nighter every now and then, it's fine. It's what you do. And that's not really Yeah. I I can imagine college students possibly uh, sleep is the first thing they let go. Parties, like schoolwork, prepare for exams, uh, what is sleep, right? I remember when I was in college, uh, I I studied in different college in America, and they have this room. Every campus has certain rooms, classrooms for (laughs) all-nighters, for exam days. (laughs) Yeah, so I we all know that. where to go if we don't. We plan to study that's right. all night. And that's one of my takeaway messages for universities: is first of all, let's get rid of the whole all-nighter, you know, mentality. It's we we can we have shown that again and again with research. It's ineffective. People who stay up all night and maybe they get to study six hours, if they had actually slept, the amount of work they accomplished in those six hours could have been accomplished in about three hours if they had gotten a good night's sleep and they'll retain it better. They'll perform it better when they're tested. And, you know, the research is really clear. All-nighters are terrible. Um, But universities still encourage them. Like at my university, they give out free coffee 24 hours a day during finals. Like, that's a terrible idea. That's really, you can't do that. Um, So it's, it's hard to fight against the just the way the culture is built around universities, but it needs to be changed. Yeah, that reminds me, you know, when I treat teenagers and uh, uh, mostly teenagers, because uh, what motivates them to come in to seek help? Mostly because the parents notice the academic performance is not good, right? And then they normally don't think about sleep issues first. They think about other issues, possibly after several rounds. And then eventually some providers ask the question about sleep. Then they come in to treat their sleep. So I'm wondering for young adults, for college students, finally, they transit out of the household. There's no parents uh, on top of them. And uh, all rely on their own self-consciousness, their own self-control. So what are some most common sleep problems you have seen among college students? And what are some motivations to, you know, get them in to see you to treat them? Uh, You couldn't have said that better. We have all in our our field, we've all seen that people show up and Sleep is on the list, but it's number three or four. 
And then when you and I kind of clear the dust away, it's a little higher than number three or four. It's this is pretty important. Um, and to add to your point, I talk to students, freshmen every year, and I say, look, if I asked you, like today it's August, let's say it's August 30th, you're starting school tomorrow as a university student. If if I asked you right now where you were on a Tuesday in February at 155. Almost every college freshman could say, oh, on Tuesdays at 155, I was doing this and this and this. And the high school students in the United States these days are so prescribed with what they do all day from the moment they wake up until literally the moment they turn off their light. That when they get to college, university, like you just said, like their parents aren't there. They don't, maybe they have two classes each day. Maybe they have three. They don't have six hours of classes and a bus to catch and practice after school and stay. They might go from having 12 structured hours a day to having three. And I've never met a call, an incoming college student who wasn't thrilled by that and thought, oh, my life is going to be so much easier. And then they get into classes and they realize, well, I'm staying up until 2.30 in the morning and I wake up at 8.30 in the morning, and now I'm tired all afternoon, and I have to study, and classes are harder. Anyway, so all of that is, is part of what happens when they get here and why it becomes challenging pretty quickly, usually within a month um, when their sleep drops off. So what gets people, students, into my office usually is I'm having more fights with my boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other. I'm having more trouble with my roommate. And, you know, it's leading me to have these problems. I'm more anxious. I don't want to go back to my room anymore because I know we're going to fight. I, you know, I'm upset about this. And now my academics are a problem because I'm spending so much time on this other thing, et cetera, et cetera. I feel more depressed because of all these good things going on. What I will say, and, and you already said this, but I'll reinforce it for college students. They will come in saying, I'm really anxious. That's the number one pe reason students come into a college counseling center or I'm feeling really down. I don't feel like myself. That's number two. Usually number three, and this is, there's research for this too. Number three is sleep. The third most common reason people come in or students will tell you this is impacting my life and my academics is sleep. When I meet with them, and of course, I'm biased, and I'll admit that. And we start to dust off some of the roommate or relationship or family or, you know, my professor's horrible kind of conversation. We find out, I find out, oh, you're only sleeping six hours a night. And on the weekends, you stay up until three or four and you sleep in until noon or one. And then you try and wake up Monday morning at 745. This is not your body doesn't do this very well. You're not giving it a chance to recover. And when you don't recover, you don't have relationships well, and you don't think well, you don't study well. I'll give you one example. I had a student in my office, this is probably three years ago now, who I had met with before and just a lovely young woman, sophomore probably. And we were talking about some pretty heavy things, but one day she came in my office just crying and upset and angry at what this guy had said to her and was doing and saying. And, and I'm listening to her and I'm thinking, you know, I've seen her deal with worse and, and do better, like just deal better. Like, and this is, this was not nothing. It was, a, it was a pretty unpleasant 
sort of breakup situation that was a little nasty. But I, I had seen her do better under worse circumstances. And after she really let a lot out, I said, you know, you know, I'm a sleep guy. Tell me how much you've been sleeping lately. And she said, oh, yeah, I didn't. Two nights ago, I didn't sleep at all. I think last night I got four hours because I'm so upset. And I said, look, what happened here is bad and it's awful and I'm sorry. And I really want you to get a good night's sleep tonight. And I want you to call me tomorrow. And, and I want to hear how you're feeling. And then we have the rest of our session and we process and talk through. And she called me the next day and she said, I got eight hours of sleep. And I got to tell you, I, I feel great. And yeah, that guy's a jerk. He's, um, it's terrible, right? But I feel fine. And so that's a really good example of, of what you and I both know and, and see all the time. Yeah, well, I love that example because that exactly tells us when you sleep better, you actually can think more clear. Yes. Be more rational. Yes. Also, our those coping strategies for emotion regulation, for deal with um, stress, for being more resilient, right? That ability really start working. <laughs> so and let me take that another ratchet up because one of the most pressing issues on college campuses and really anywhere is suicide, right? And there are two things sleep-related <clears throat> that have been shown distinctly in the general population, but also for college student-aged folks that are predictors for suicide risk. And one is chronic insomnia, and the other one is chronic nightmares. So if someone has walks in your office or my office, especially an 18 to 24-year-old, and says, I have chronic insomnia, I can't sleep, and it's almost every night of the week. One of the things that you have to be assessing for and curious about is their thoughts about death and suicide. And if someone talks to you, your friend, your parents, your, your doctor, and says, yeah, I have nightmares several nights a week, suicide risking, assessing for suicide risk is super vital. Um, and this is like where we started this conversation. Nobody taught me that in grad school. This is not being taught in medical school. This research is relatively new. Michael Perlis at the University of Pennsylvania uh, kicked off a lot of this it's fascinating research. And it makes sense when you look into it, but it's just not something that a lot of us were trained in or aware of. So it's important. And it's not just because somebody had a bad breakup. It's because people might be thinking about suicide when it's three in the morning and they can't sleep. Right, right. Yeah, I feel like this whole field, right? As clinical providers, we need to keep on training ourselves and learning all these new things. Uh, I know there's more and more research connections between uh, severe mental health, mental disorders, suicidality, and the uh, sleep quality. I think that's important for us to ask the questions and possibly important for families, friends to ask the question too. Right, right. Yeah, I I focus on talking to the psychologists, the social workers, the nurses, and the physicians, but I also do new student, student orientation, and I talk to the parents, and I say, look, you got to be listening for this. And not only do I want you to listen for it and take it seriously, I want you to model healthy sleep attitudes. So if you're son or daughter or nephew, niece or 
whatever says to you, oh yeah, I got to pull an all-nighter next week to finish that. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say, you know, that's not a good way to do it. Plan ahead, prepare. And even if you're behind, you're going to do better the next day if you get a night of sleep rather than try and stay up. Even for even if you sleep three hours, you're still missing out on a lot of brain recovery time that you need to perform. Yeah, the people, I think a lot of people don't really get this. Well, we think we can catch up on sleep, yeah. right? Even myself before in graduate school, I have to admit, I yeah. did similar things all nighter and then I have to sleep for, for <laughs> several days and feel awful for several days. But I thought I'm catching back up my sleep. It looks like we cannot. No, the damage is done. I was the same way as you. I mean, like, hey, it feels good and it does feel good, but what's lost is lost. You can you can replenish once it's been lost, but it's you know, what you lost while you didn't have the sleep is is not coming back. Yeah, I remember Dr. Grandner used to mention on uh, my show that even we sleep like 15 minutes earlier, if we just get 10 or 15 minutes more sleep per night, our performance the next day actually going to be boosted. Yeah. You, you, you may not be able to notice it in the moment, but we can, in research labs, can show that that's true. We can show the difference is real. And that, one of the things I was looking up preparing to, to talk to you was in the 80s, when I went started college, um, the average, there's a study on how much sleep college students got. And it was about seven hours and 45 minutes, which for me rings true. And if I go any group of college students I meet with these days and I say, okay, so how about how much sleep are people getting? And I haven't put their hands up and whatever. And it's true. There was research in 2018. It's very consistent with the students I see. It's about six and a half hours a night. So, you know, and, and if they say, oh, well, you slept seven and three, three quarters and I sleep six and a half. That doesn't sound that different. It's massive. It's a huge change to the extent where if this is what I say to the students, I'm like, okay, so I slept seven hours and 45 minutes. It's the same. If you said, all right, I sleep six and a half hours a night, Brad, you sleep the same as you always do, except one night a week, you pull an all nighter. It's about the same. So what would you prefer? I mean, there's a huge difference when you're getting 15 minutes less. And especially when you stretch it out to an hour or more, your body doesn't get the chance to recover and do the the healing and the processing it needs to do while it's asleep. Right. And uh, I think the sleep debt, right, just accumulates. Every day you sleep one less hour than other people. And then over the week, you lost one day of sleep. Yeah. And it's interesting. People compare to each other about everything else. They compete about schoolwork, about athlete work, about all these other things, but they don't really compete about sleep. Uh, or if they do, they compete about how little sleep they got, right? <laughs> it's, it's the opposite. It's the wrong direction. And but when I was like, I told you my story when I was in college, I was so in love with sleep. I was that guy. I was like, guys, I got nine hours and 45 minutes of sleep last night. And everybody else was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so I'm, I've always been a sleep nerd since those days. And 
I wish more people would get competitive with getting enough sleep and getting, you know, there people will often ask me in talks like, well, can I get too much sleep? And it, the answer is probably not. If you're sleeping more than like college students can't sleep because they're doing that recovery catch up. Um, I went to bed at three in the morning and now I'm waking up at three in the afternoon. So if you're so sleep deprived that you're catching up for a long period once or twice, I mean, that's how your body works. If you're sleeping night after night after night after night, 10 hours or more, or even nine and a half hours or more, there may be something else going on. There may be a reason your body needs more sleep. And maybe you have a sleep disorder, or maybe you have a health problem that hasn't been picked up yet that makes your body need more sleep. Usually that's that's what I'm finding when I bump into those folks. Yeah, I like those warning signs, right? It's not just you, not, you don't sleep enough. If you constantly sleep too much, yes. that's a warning sign too. Yeah, it's like a little flag going off of like, why do you need this much more sleep than almost everyone else? Some people are built to need more sleep, but usually not 10 hours a night or more. If that's the case, like, let's look, let's call your doctor. Let's get some appointments to check your blood and look into other things that are going on. And maybe it's also a sleep disorder. So, So I'm so happy that I get to talk to you today because I'm thinking clinically, I have several college students, right? With sleep struggling, struggles. I find it's really hard to treat them. <laughs> uh-huh. just, Welcome to my world. <laughs> right? So I don't know how, because I can give them education about sleep signs. Sometimes they even agree. Oh, it totally makes sense. Oh, I never know that. Now I know. Yeah. But somehow, sometimes I feel like I'm competing with with their electronic device. I'm competing with TikTok, <laughs> all this fun stuff. Yeah. And they just could not control themselves. Right. To, to the whole culture of being a college student, right? You have yeah. roommates and you never had a roommate before. Now you have 30 people living in 50 yards with video games and TikTok. And yeah, that you, that you just described my whole world of working in a college counseling center. Um, and the other thing I'll add to that is when an 18 to 22 year old does get a good night of sleep, they get a great night of sleep. When you're, when you're in that age group, your body is really primed to get some of the best deep sleep that you get in your whole life, other than being very, very, very little. So as an adult, these are your best deep sleep hours. So you could talk to a college student who's having all these sleep problems. You might convince them to get some better sleep. They might have one really good night of sleep and say, oh, I'm fixed. I'm all better. And they may not come back or they might come back and say, I'm good. I got it. And the truth is, we both know it's more subtle than that. One good night is great, but making the changes to TikTok while you're in bed or video games until three in the morning or spending all of your free time on your bed doing every single activity that you do, these are not good things for your sleep. And so it's changing that person's individual relationship with sleep and their bedroom environment and their sort of culture and thinking about how sleep is important, taking small steps along the route towards a healthy attitude towards sleep. And I say that when I work with the 50 and 60 year old crowd, they're in, 
when they're like, no, I've been dealing with this for decades. And I know one good night is not the end of the story. But a 19 year old might think, oh, man, Saturday night was awesome. I feel great. Thank you. Let's let's talk. Let's talk some more about Tuesday night. What was that like? So. Mm. Yeah, sounds like they are super live at the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, and easy to be satisfied, but they, they do things possibly not think about too much consequences. And sounds like the change, the motivation of change really need to come from inside of them. They need to really shift how they think about sleep, how they think about health. And uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a quick thing on that and then one other thing about more of where I'm at, it's also super helpful if they can get a roommate or their significant other to be on the same page. You know, if their roommate is, oh, you know, whatever, who I'll sleep when I'm dead or I'll sleep over winter break. That's not a helpful attitude. Having them do some of the education of their roommate or friend or whoever, I'm like, well, no, actually, here's what Dr. Wagas told me can be really helpful. You, it's often working uphill, but most people will come around to learning about sleep. I find people are usually pretty interested in learning about it. The other thing I'll say, because we're talking about student culture and what students think and what students do, there was a great study published last year, um, Port Schmidt and others from Penn State looked at the way college students tell people like me, college counselors, about their problems, about their sleep problems, and how the counselors deal with it. And the the sad truth, and this is no surprise to me and probably not to you, is that the counselors, uh, so the student says to the counselor on a form, yeah, I have sleep problems. And the counselor misses it most of the time, right? Because they're also saying, well, I'm anxious, I'm depressed. This is where we started our conversation today. I have these other things going on and sleep. and the count this is probably part of the problem with our culture too is you know we see the big a of anxiety the big d of depression and we're all in on that and we think well if we fix this the other things will get better and it might but sleep is one of the most stubborn problems to come along with anxiety depression and everything else you can treat depression until they're not depressed but their problem with sleep, their insomnia remains super consistent. That's not helpful. And so 49 to 69% of students said, I have a sleep problem. But when the clinician was asked later, what did you work on this? What did you work on with this student? Only 16% said, we did sleep. So they missed 75% of the students who probably had some kind of sleep issue that could have been helped. Not necessarily a disorder, but that's not necessary. We're not talking about anxiety disorders all the time either. So the culture has to change with the the healthcare providers too, mental health and healthcare providers to pay more attention to what they're telling us because the students don't necessarily think it's that bad. And if we don't say, hey, let's talk about this because maybe it's worse than you think, then it can get missed. And last thing I'll say, I just read this study and I loved it. When a sleep disorder is reported, but not treated, 
it's a predictor for a really bad outcome, like poor outcome in therapy. But when a sleep problem is reported and treated, it's a predictor for really positive outcome in therapy. So there's really no downside to doing this. And there's a lot of upsides. Right. It could be a big concern, but I think a lot of providers possibly are not equipped to really treat it. Just like, like you said, we did not learn it in graduate school. We, when I got my license, I still did not know much about sleep. I only know sleep hygiene. And then I realized that's not enough. <laughs> right. So, no, and sleep hygiene is like, uh, you can just Google sleep hygiene and you got it. All the information online. Yeah. That was enough. Like Michael Grandner likes to say, if that was enough, then no one would smoke. So (laughs) we see how that goes. Um, Yeah. It's super important to make these changes to how we perceive what the problems are. And when I was trained, um, when I was in graduate school for psychology, I was trained if you treat the depression, the insomnia will go away. If you treat the anxiety, the insomnia will go away. Now we know that's not true. That's- I just heard from one of my uh, patients, I think, mentioned they got this message from one of their um, primary care doctor recently. I was like, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's just not. I mean, the science has evolved. We know better than that now. But not everybody has read or heard the new science. So. Yeah, yeah, we all have to keep on learning. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, we talk a lot about these challenges. There's great research. There's lots of things we need to consider. But this college population is such a unique population. Yeah. So I'm curious, in your own clinical work, is there one or two things you find really helpful that you say to the college students or something you do to them to help them shift their perceptions and the going the right way and really trying to improve their sleep. That what is useful. Yeah. One or two is hard, but I, but I like that idea. I'll give you a couple. Well, of not that simple. I know. Head. Well, it, I mean, it is and it isn't right. Cause it depends on who I'm talking to. I think for, for the general consumption, like people who are not so sure that sleep is that important, I give them some of those ideas of like, you can study six hours pulling an all-nighter, but you could also do that work in three hours if you just got some sleep. Um, I I spout that a lot and people will often hear that more than they hear, oh, it's just not good for you. But the other one I use, and this might be from a, a Michael Perlis training, is about people with insomnia. They're often like, I, I talk about building a house of cars, like it has to be perfect or they're just not going to sleep and it all falls down and they're just awake all night. But instead of doing that, if you think of it as maybe this is a Don Posner thing, you're waiting on a surfboard to catch a wave, right? You can't make the wave come. You have to put yourself in the right place with the right sort of preparation and attitude, but mostly you're just waiting for, uh, and there, see, there's my wave. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm looking at you're that. Waiting for the wave to come, and hopefully you're in a good space to to ride it. And if you're not, there's another wave. Like it'll it'll come again, right? It's you're not broken. You don't have to build the perfect house of cards. You just need to put yourself in the right position to be there. And some students will say to me, "Yeah, I don't surf. I don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, "Okay, so le- let me try this one." You go to somebody's house and they have a cat and you really want to pet the cat. 
if you go after that cat to pet it, you're never going to pet the cat. You have to put yourself in a calm place, probably very still, and wait. And if you're in a good place and a good sort of headspace, guess what? Cat's going to come over and be curious about you, and you get to pet the cat. It's the same. It's this, I need to be in a good space at the right time and sleep will come. Mm. Oh, I love those. I love <laughs> how you could research data, a lot of analogies, right? Because those are very, like a lot of information in it, more detailed. I think uh, it makes sense to a lot of college students and relate to their hobbies, their life. Um, yeah, that's awesome. It totally makes sense. It totally it's- makes sense. And the analogies like bring it home. Uh, hey. I, I find analogies are so, so useful because a lot of people could care less about research. <laughs> I sleep. I know what sleep's like. Yeah, it's, it's not exactly what you think it is. Yeah. And I love your analogies better than just saying, well, go with the flow. Right. <laughs> go with flow is so general. Like a lot of people tell me, well, logically, I know I should go with flow, but yeah. in reality, I cannot do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's the old, just relax or calm down. Like if it was that easy, you wouldn't even need to tell me. It's never that easy. Yeah. There's still some preparations. You you can help yourself to be a right position, right place and waking. It's not yeah. just doing nothing, just to wait. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if I could speak to the college administrators out there, if any of them are listening, I would really, and this is what I do here, I would really encourage them to talk to faculty about changing the deadlines for papers. They're always at midnight. There's no reason for that because you and I both know, and so does every college student, if you make it due at midnight, they're going to finish it at 11.59. Make it due before class the next time you have class or 6 p.m. There's nothing wrong with that. Little changes to campus activities and and all that stuff help. You know, It's okay to close the libraries at midnight to send students home. They should be going to bed sometime mm-hmm. things like that yeah i love that uh a culture right a study culture what we are encouraging and students gonna <laughs> form their own culture accordingly <laughs> right they will follow if you provide a culture of staying up all night and free coffee during finals 24 hours students will follow that i have to say the coffee thing sounds so attractive but i also know it's not good it's not good for you yeah So one of the things I like to, especially when I'm talking to counseling center staff, the psychologists and clinicians, is to encourage them to think even more deeply when they're meeting with a student with minoritized identities, that the more minoritized identities that they're holding, the more likely they're going to have sleep problems that are a little bit worse or maybe a lot worse or even additional problems um, than a non-minoritized person. And there are myriad of reasons for this, but I think the important thing is to pay attention to it and not think, oh, well, they're the same as, as anybody else. It's not. The more minoritized identities that a person holds, the more likely they're going to be uh, struggling more and having more difficulty with sleep. And the research is pretty clear and consistent with this, whether it's college students or, or any age, honestly, that folks with minoritized identities have uh, a higher rate 
of several sleep disorders and um, insomnia is right in there in the middle. Oh, cool. Is that more like a perception issue or it's uh, more than perceptions? It's so clinically, I think it's a perception issue where we miss it because we're thinking it's the same, but the evidence is is significant. Like there are significant differences. And I, I think of especially the African-American population um, with sleep apnea, but also insomnia. And it's it's dramatic how many different sleep disorders you find where people with marginalized identities are showing up with higher rates of incidence and uh, more problematic outcomes as a result. Yeah. Oh, this is wonderful. So uh, if our listeners want to find you, uh, can you mention your website again, or there's any other resources, how they can reach out to you? Absolutely. I have a private practice. Then you can find me at helpmesleep.org. Everything you need to find me and get a hold of me is right there. I am finishing my work at universities, but I'm still doing a lot of consulting with universities and, <laughs> excuse me, presentations to university um, mental health clinicians. And I'm available to do that work too. But I also do a lot of work with older adults, you know, the 30 to 75 year old crowd around sleep, insomnia, chronic nightmares. And that's, it's just my favorite thing to do. So yeah, I'd be happy for people to reach out, even if you just have a question. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I will put all your information uh, on the show notes. So when people, and in the description box, so when people listen to the episode, they should be able to find your information and click through directly. Perfect. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, any last wisdom you want to share? We can close it here, or if you have any last wisdom. <laughs> I'll tell you this, and my son had a, had a major, major medical problem about two years ago as a 20-year-old, and he kept bumping into doctors who was like, oh, you're 20? You're okay. Like, this can't be that bad. And it was bad, and they were wrong. And I think it's easy for, for us as older adults to think, Oh, what, you know, how bad can it be? They're 18 or they're 23 and they pull an all-nighter. It's not great. It's really not good for them the same way it's not good for us, no matter what age you are. So taking it seriously and changing that attitude is so important. I guess that is my takeaway message. Yeah, love that. Yeah, don't don't just think college students are young, right? Age is not the, the key issue. Sleep issues can be in our life Yeah, uh, at any stage. That's right. They're, they transcend age from, you know, infancy all the way through the, the, the geriatric age. So, yeah. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and all this knowledge with us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. Let me know if you have any questions about sleep and I'm happy to answer that for you. If you have insomnia and want a treatment, please feel free to consider my online insomnia treatment course at deepintosleep.co forward slash courses. This is Dr. Yishan. Thank you for listening today. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. 
and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.